Let's go to the Lord in prayer this evening. Father, we're thankful for the chance to uh, be in your house, uh, to worship you, uh, to hear your word proclaimed. Uh, Lord, we thank you for the, the, the singing, the praises, um, Lord, that we, uh, we hope are um, uh, pleasant to you. Father, we thank you for the, uh, the mercy and the grace that you've shown all of us, the opportunity to be here tonight. Lord, we, we love you. We love your word. We ask you to teach us tonight, to guide us in, as we uh, look uh, through your word. Uh, may it be a, a guide. May it be a teacher for us. Lord, may it show us what to do, what you would have for us uh, this evening. We praise you and we thank you for all things. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, so, uh, Pastor Mike is still under the weather. I continue to pray for him. Uh, so, I... You get me tonight. I, I'm Ryan, for those who may not know me, but I'm looking around. All of you should. If you don't, we need to talk right after uh, the service tonight. Um, but there should be a, a, a brief handout. This is the best outline I could get you um, for tonight. So this is a rough outline, but the, this is what we're going to be covering tonight. So if you'll go to Galatians chapter 1, that's what we're going to be. Pastor Mike uh, to, has been talking to you all about the, the glory of the Messiah. From my understanding, you've been walking through... Um, the book of Isaiah, right? We can, can we all affirm, we can tell Pastor Mike, you all know what he's been, been teaching through on Wednesday nights. And so uh, we're, we're um, going to be not in Isaiah, but we are kind of to build off of that, the, the glory of the Messiah. So we're, we're talking about the glory of his, of his gospel tonight, the glorious gospel of the Messiah. So that's what we're going to be looking at um, from Paul in the book of Galatians. Um, also tonight, we're finally back up and live streaming on Wednesday night. So for those who are joining us via online, we're glad that, that you're with us. Hopefully you got word that we're live streaming tonight. So um, we're glad that, that you're there. Uh, so again, we're going to look at um, not all of chapter 1, but some of it. Um, what I want to do is I want to start off and I want to read Galatians 1. I want to read 6 through 10 to give us some context. We're going to be looking at mostly Galatians 11, uh, 1, 11 through 24. 111 through 24, and, but I want to give some context to this. Paul's letter to the Galatians is pretty unique um, compared to the other letters that he, um, he wrote them. And he, uh, way that he often starts off by introducing himself, um, Paul, an apostle. Uh, he specifically, he, he gives his title in this one as an apostle, and, and we'll see why later. But... Um, so he gives this greeting, he, he greets the, the church in Galatia. In chapter 3, he, he does what he often does and, and, and prays grace for them, peace. from. He greets them in the name of the Lord um, and reminded them of what Christ did for them. In verse 4, he gave himself for our sins that we might rescue, he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever. Amen. And then usually in Paul's letter, there is usually some section where he will give a kind of a brief um, thankfulness. He'll express thankfulness for the church. I thank God for your faith. I thank God for your love that you have for one another. I often pray for you. But in the book of Galatians, here's what you get right after the greeting. I'm amazed you're so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another. There is... Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed, as we have said before. So I say again now, if any man is preaching to you 
a gospel contrary to what you received, he is accursed. For now I am seeking, for am I now seeking the favor of men or of God, or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. And so he, um, you know, it's, it's, Paul's letters are usually, I'm thankful for you, I'm praying for you, for the Galatians. It's you fool, you foolish Galatians. Um, you're already um, believing something else that somebody else is telling you. So in Galatians 6, 1, 6 through 10, there's a reminder of what Paul was facing in Galatia. Specifically, the Galatians were turning towards a teaching of a group of people that would become known as Judaizers. Um, they taught that in order to be a Christian, a person had to first become um, basically Jewish by custom and began adhering to the law of Moses. And so they began adding things to the gospel. Yes, you must believe in Jesus, but you must do this. Particularly what Paul addresses in the letter to uh, the Galatians is the issue of uh, men circumcising themselves. If they were Gentile men and they, they followed Christ, that's all well and good. You also need to be circumcised. Just like Abraham and, the follow and those who came after Abraham were circumcised. So they were attacking the heart of the gospel that, we, that has come to be known by us as Protestants as justification by faith alone, by grace alone, um, by faith alone in the Lord Jesus. And so the Galatians were turning away from the true gospel, and Paul immediately gets down to business with them, right? You foolish Galatians. So Paul is defending his apostleship because he's being questioned by these false teachers. Um, and he reminds them, and we'll get to that in a minute, Paul has a bit of a reputation in the world of the Gentiles, if you're not aware of Paul's reputation. Paul was very aware of his reputation, and probably uh, the reason he talked about his conversion so much was because he knew who he was beforehand. Um, he knew that in order to reach people, he was going to have to be open and honest with the kind of person he was before he encountered Christ. But nonetheless, people um, challenged Paul based on his past um, and how it affected him. So, <clears throat> but the good news for us is that God loves to save sinners, and we should be grateful for that. The hearing of the gospel is the means by which that happens. We hear that in Romans 10. But Paul is defending his calling as an apostle. He's rebuked the Galatian church for, for falling away from the true gospel that he had preached to them. And now he's going to defend the gospel in the book of Galatians. And Paul had a very radical encounter that changed him. We're going to talk about that. He's going to share that uh, tonight in the verses that we're going to read. So... You know, if you're saved today, you have a story of transformation too. We're going to read about Paul's transformation, and maybe yours wasn't as dramatic as his. But if you are saved today, you had a transformation as well. You had an encounter with the risen, living Christ, and he saved you. Uh, and that's proof that God uses the gospel to change people, right? We know the gospel works, therefore we know it's worth sharing and worth defending, and that's what Paul's doing. So that's what we're going to talk about tonight, proclaiming and defending the gospel. Um, so if you have your Bibles, let's look at verses 11. I'm going to read 11 all the way through the end of chapter 1. And then we'll kind of break this down into four sections as time allows. Tonight may either go a little long or it may go really short. I have no idea, to be honest with you. So we'll just see where we get tonight. So start in verse 11. <clears throat> Paul says, For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man... Nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more ex extremely zealous 
from my ancestral tradition, traditions. But when God, who had set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through His grace, was pleased to reveal His Son in me so that I might preach Him among the Gentiles, I, do not, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and I returned once more to Damascus. Then three years later I went to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas, stayed with him 15 days, but I did not, did not see any of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now in what I am writing to you, I assure you before God that I am not lying, that I went into the regions of Syria and Sicilia, and I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But only they kept hearing, He who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith, which he once tried to destroy, and they were glorifying God because of me. So, the first thing I want to do with this passage, so let's look at verses 11 and 12. So we're going to look at this in four sections. The first section, verses 11 and 12, the gospel, Paul is making clear that the gospel is divinely originated. It didn't start with him. It didn't end with him, thank goodness, because we heard it. <coughs> it originated with God. And Paul notes two very important things about the gospel in these verses. First of all, he noted that it's not based on human wisdom. Uh, the gospel is not derived from human wisdom. It's not derived from human thought. Uh, no human philosopher, no matter how smart they could have been, would have ever have conceived a gospel as glorious as the one that Paul preached. If the gospel had been conceived by man, man would have, we would have distorted it somehow. Uh, we would have uh, loaded it down with works like many other man-made religions of the world. Man in his own device would never have been able to come up with something as beautiful, as glorious, and as wonderful as the gospel of the Lord Jesus that Paul preached. You know, we, we would probably devise a religion based more on control. Um, we would devise a religion that demanded too much of people and would crush them with heavy burden of works. And you can see that over and over again in the scriptures. That's exactly what man does when man takes control of what God ordains. But God's plan is too wonderful for us. For us. Even as Christians, I think sometimes we have a hard time believing that God is really that gracious and that faithful to his people. And to us, we marvel at it. It's too amazing for us. Like John Newton wrote, Amazing Grace. He, a, a captain of a slave-owning ship, would marvel that God would save somebody like him. And so he wrote one of the most well-known hymns that we, we have today. So the gospel is not based on human wisdom. We could never conceive of it. We could never come up with it. We would not design a message like that. It had to come from God. And that's the second point. It's received by revelation. So how did we come to know the gospel? How did Paul... And he says it was by a revelation from Jesus Christ. Now, Paul received it directly from Jesus. We get it from, the, we get it from apostles like Paul who got it from Jesus, right? We read about it in, in the Bible. Somebody shared the words of Scripture to us. When somebody shared the gospel with you, they weren't giving you their own words. They were sharing with you the gospel of the apostles, and the apostles were sharing with, them, with, with us through Scripture and with the people of their day the revelation that Christ had given them. And so Paul got his message directly from Jesus. That's why Paul's gospel was trustworthy. It came directly from Christ. The Greek word um, that we encounter here for the word revelation is actually where we get the English word apocalypse from. Um, if you were to transliterate <clears throat> the book of Revelation, we often call it the Revelation of John, but if you were to transliterate that instead of translating it, it would be the Apocalypse of John. Um, so we get our, our English word apocalypse from the Greek word that we translate as revelation. It means to lay bare, 
the idea is disclosing something hidden or to make known something that was not previously known. And so Paul is saying that the gospel was laid bare to him directly by revelation from Jesus Christ. Christ disclosed the hidden message of the gospel to him. Paul had heard about Jesus, but it was in encountering Jesus, which is what transformed him and changed him. So all of this is to say is that Paul did not receive his message from people. He makes that very clear. He did not proclaim to the people of Galatia a message that he had heard from other people. He did not proclaim to them a message that he had come up with himself. His message was not according to man, nor did he receive it from man, but he was taught it and received it directly by revelation from the Lord Jesus. Um, <clears throat> he encountered the risen Christ, the very good news in the flesh, and he was changed by it. And he received the word about Jesus from Jesus. So Paul's message is from God and it can be believed because it's not a message of the false teachers of the Galatians. Their message is not the gospel. That's what Paul's trying to make abundantly clear there in those first two short verses. So now we move on to the, to the second point on your um, outline there, which is the gospel brings, Paul's gospel, the gospel he proclaims, brings about true transformation. And so Paul is basically going to share his own story, his own testimony. He's, he's demonstrating not only that the gospel that he proclaims is one that can transform people, it's because it's, it comes from revelation from Jesus, but he's testifying to the fact that he has been changed by it. He's been transformed by it. And so if you look at verses 13 through 17, I think it's important to look at, there's, there's three very important things Paul identifies here. First, <clears throat> the main point being that encountering Christ tra transformed Paul's affections. So Paul's own dramatic transformation is on display here. It says that he was zealous for Judaism, for the tradition of his ancestors. So Paul was a Pharisee. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. We know that from previous times that Paul has shared his testimony in the book of Acts particularly. <clears throat> and he says that he wasn't particularly zealous necessarily of just the Old Testament, what we would consider the law, the prophets, the writings, right? He, was, he says he was zealous for the tradition of his ancestors, the tradition his ancestors being other Pharisees that had come before him, right? He was zealous <clears throat> for the rabbinic tradition and their interpretation of the law. He was zealous for tradition. His zeal led him to the point of persecuting the church, um, Paul says to an extreme degree, the word persecute in the Greek gives the idea of going after, of eagerly pursuing these people. As a matter of fact, if you were to read verse um, 13 in the Greek, there's actually a hyperbole in there. It's giving extra emphasis that Paul was so zealous for the traditions of man that he harshly pursued and went after the church um, to a very extreme degree. Um, and sought to destroy them. He wanted to actively seek them out to destroy those who followed Christ as Messiah. Um, one commentary I wrote said it pretty harshly of Paul, and it's probably true, that Paul was a terrorist. If you were a Christian at that point in time, Paul was after you. Paul was a terrorist to them. And Paul indicates that the Galatians were aware of who he was previously. Paul himself may have told them when he preached to them or they may have found out about it by way of rumor. Uh, they may also have become aware of it through Paul's enemies, the Judaizers, who were trying to lead the Galatians astray. 
But I tend to think that Paul was open about his past. I don't think it was something that he hid. Um, he proclaimed it pretty openly when he shared his testimony. I don't think he hid it from anyone that he did ministry with. So he admits who he was regularly and freely. And so Paul says that he was well advanced in his pursuit of Judaism. Um, he was uh, probably a young man when he first entered his studies and probably rose to prominence as a young man. Um, he was blazing a trail, cutting down anything in his path, which unfortunately included Jewish Christians. And Paul is making a good point here for us. He was deep into Judaism. He understood it. He had studied it. It consumed him. It was his obsession. He sincerely believed that what he had been, he, he believed what he had been taught, and he believed that what he was doing was of God. All right? But sincerity does not equal salvation. It didn't for Paul, and it doesn't for us. Sincerity does not equal salvation. You can be sincere about something, but be sincerely wrong about something. Uh, the other important thing to note about Paul's pre-conversion state <clears throat> is that well, he was of no mind to change what he was doing. Right? Uh, I don't think you can find anywhere in the Scripture um, where Paul was having an internal or an inward quarrel with himself or felt guilty about what he was doing. Uh, by his own testimony, he was doing what he was doing because he was zealous for it, right? I was zealous for the tradition of my ancestors. Paul didn't just have a simple change of heart. Something more radical was going to happen to Paul, had to happen to Paul, if he was going to come to his knees and follow the Lord. So this, this is a reminder for us to check our passions, to check our zeal. Um, what do our passions lie in? What gets you up in the morning? What's on your mind when you go to bed? Uh, and when you wake up, what do you devote the most amount of your thought time to? Is it important that our zeal and our passions are shaped by our devotion to the Lord? And the answer to that is yes, they should be. Our affections should be shaped by who we are in Christ, and they should be motivated by what he has done for us. So the question is, is what drives you? We know what drove Paul, and he says those were wrong. They were strong affections. They were strong emotions. He was zealous but he was zealous for the wrong things. And lest we shake a finger at Paul, we should also be aware that those, that can happen to us too. We can be zealous for the wrong things. We can be passionate about the wrong things like Paul was. Things that we're emotional about or worked up about or passionate about can lead us away from the Lord. And so Paul is challenging us, I think, in this passage to make sure our zeal lies in the right place. Um, to make sure that we're zealous for the things that are going to draw us closer to the Lord. And that's a question for us. Is it drawing you closer to God or is it leading you away? Paul thought he was drawing near to God through what he was doing, but he couldn't have been more lost um, than what he was. So what happened? Well, secondly, we note Paul talks to us about his conversion a little bit. By his own testimony, he was converted um, by, you can go read about it in the book of Acts. We, you're, you're familiar with the story, right? <clears throat> and but Paul says some very interesting things about his own, his own salvation. You know, he, he encountered a risen Christ. He was on his way to Damascus. We know that God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, met him in person, uh, blazing like the sun, brighter than the sun, blinded Paul, um, uh, confessed himself that Paul was, chase, Paul was uh, uh, chasing him in vain. And as he was on his way to persecute Christians, Christ showed up and and redeemed Paul. He saved him. In that moment, Paul became a different person. Um, Paul became a man who was a persecutor of the church. And 
after encountering Christ, he was a man of the church, a Gentile, a man after the Gentiles. And so God had appointed him to this task. So Paul makes some interesting observations in verses 15 and 16 that really, honestly, um, I could spend probably the rest of tonight just on these two verses, but I'm not. Um, But they're that important to show just this is how Paul thinks about his calling, right? It's It's important for us to understand what did Paul believe happened to him on the road to Damascus? What did Paul believe that Jesus was calling him to do? And I think we get a good sense of it from, from verses 15 and 16. So there's, there's four things, four key points that I want to pull out um, from this. One is that Paul believed that God directly intervened in his conversion. Right? Who revealed Jesus to Paul? God did. Christ did. He revealed himself. At the right time, Paul was zealous for tradition, not for God, but God intervened and literally redirected Paul's course and set the affections of his heart on him. Paul left Jerusalem a Jesus hater and he wound up wherever he was going as a Jesus, as a person converted to follow and give his life to Christ. So God changed the affections of his heart. And we should never forget that because God in his providence does intervene. All of us today who are saved, you are saved because God divinely intervened and sent somebody to you to share the gospel with you and sent his spirit to convict you of your sin so that that person sharing the gospel and the Holy Spirit working in your heart might lead you to repentance. God directly intervenes in our path, not only at conversion, but almost every day of our life, right? God intervenes in our life. He redirects our courses. I'm convinced when we get to heaven, we're going to figure out ways that God has redirected our steps, that we have no idea what he's done until we get there. Uh, Destruction that he's led us away from. Troubles and trials that he walked us through that we didn't, that we didn't know about. Um, <clears throat> so he continues to, to redirect and intervene in our life. But in Paul's case, it was a very dramatic thing. God interrupted his plans and told him to do something else. Two, the second thing is that Paul's conversion involved the eternal plan of God. I love this because it really just puts the, the sovereignty of God on full display here. You know, when did Paul declare that God had set him apart in this passage? It's interesting, right? When did God set Paul apart? Now, literally, it happened when he encountered Christ on the road to Damascus. But in the providence of God, it happened much sooner than that, right? Paul says from his birth, from his mother's womb, Paul was set apart, which that word set apart means to be um, separated In some translations may say separated. It means it's conveying the idea that Paul was marked off with boundaries. That's what the the Greek term literally means. It means to mark off with boundaries or to appoint for a purpose. So God had set Paul apart from birth. From birth, the man who would be zealous for everything but God, the man who would watch and willingly participate in the stoning of one of the first deacons of the new church, Stephen, the man who made it his life's mission to destroy this new church, that man, God set him apart from birth for salvation. So God wasn't hoping that Paul would be saved. God set his eye of affection on Paul from birth, encountered him on a road to Damascus, changed the course of his path, and told Paul what he was going to do. Right? And Paul responded to the vision that God gave him. So Paul said that God was pleased to do this for him. That God, it was pleased, God was pleased. So just think about that for a second. 
God was pleased to reveal Christ to a man who was chasing down people who loved Christ. God was pleased to reveal Christ to a man who was chasing down people who loved Christ. You know, have you been worse than Paul? I don't think, I don't think any of us have been on the same path that Paul was on. Right? Which should give us hope because if Paul's not beyond the eternal plan of God and Paul's not immune to the grace of God, then neither would any of us be. Um, God can save anybody if he can save Paul. And I think Paul pretty much made that point clear a lot in his ministry. He can do this for me. I know he can do it for you. <clears throat> so the third thing that we see about Paul's conversion is that, is, that Paul, is that conversion always involves God's grace and calling us to himself. God would not direct our hearts to anything but Jesus. God would not point us in any direction but Jesus. Not only did God set Paul apart, but he called him by his grace. God wasn't going to fail in calling. I'm convinced, you know, I can call my kids to come and do anything, and, and they may choose to do it or they may choose not to do it. You know, I can call them. My calling, my calling of my kids doesn't actually make them do anything. I don't know if those who have kids in here can testify to that. Us calling them, unless you're a lot better parent than I am, doesn't actually make them do anything, right? So it's not a vocal calling here but Paul, that Paul, I believe, is referring to. It's referring to an action of, by God by which he opened... You can read about this in um, other places in Scripture where, where he opened the eyes and the ears of Paul as an unbeliever to receive the truth of the gospel. Something Satan had been blinding Paul to, God revealed to him, right? Paul was walking in darkness and literally encountered light of Jesus Christ. Um, we see this in other passages, <clears throat> uh, Romans 8, 28 through 30, 2 Corinthians 4, uh, 4 through 6. We'll read that one in just a second. Ephesians 1, 4 and 5. Um, and which Ephesians uh, 1, 4 and 5, Paul says this, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. So Paul has actually taken what he's applying to himself here in this passage that God called him from birth, and he's applying it to the believers in Ephesus. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. So, all of this was God's pleasure. It pleased God to reveal his son to Paul. Um, he chose to do it. He determined to do it. God was favorably inclined towards Paul to reveal Christ to him. Um, Paul, Paul was a Jesus-hating zealot, but God took pleasure in showing him Jesus. That's quite a statement, and that's good news for all of us. And the, second, the, the last thing about Paul's conversion I wanted to point out is that conversion means having your eyes open to the glory of Christ. Again, this is what we find in Scripture. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. This is how Paul talks about uh, the experience in 2 Corinthians. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, is the same one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God has shown in our hearts, if you're a believer today, He has shown in your heart, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Again, in order to be converted, our eyes must be turned towards Christ. They can't look at anything else and be saved. So what it pleased God to do by grace was to reveal His Son to Paul. God's calling is always to Jesus. God's calling is always to Jesus. God would never call someone and lead them away from Jesus. God would never send somebody to spread a gospel message that was Jesus plus anything, which is exactly what the Galatians were doing, which is what Paul's so fed up with them for. 
because they're, they're, they're believing a gospel that says Jesus plus this. There is no Jesus plus anything. Right? There's just Christ. If anyone ever says they were called of God, yet speaks untruths about Christ, that calling was not from God. And so, what does Paul mean when he says that God was revealing his son in Paul? I find that phrase interesting, that God was revealing his son in Paul. What I think that means is that by grace, God opened Paul's eyes, oddly enough, by making him blind in the moment, to the truth about the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. And we know that because Paul talks about it in other places. <clears throat> so, all of that to say, all of these realities, all four of those truths about conversion, are not only true for Paul, they're true for us. Right? God set his affection on you. God knew who you were. God, God knew your name before you were ever conceived. <clears throat> Psalm 139 talks about that. Right? While you were being knitted together in your mother's womb, God knew you. And God at the right time and by grace through other godly people who loved you showed you the glory of Christ through the sharing of the gospel. Right? It's one of the mysteries of the gospel. If I asked you, why are you saved today? You may say something like, well, someone shared the gospel with me and I believed it. And that's true for most of us. And that's true. Somebody shared the gospel with me and I believed it. But how did you hear the gospel? Who shared it with you? Well, the answer to that is because God in his sovereignty appoints means by which we hear of him and by which he draws us to himself. You'll never be drawn to God apart from the gospel of the Lord. Many people in this world are born and they live their whole lives and they die without ever hearing the name of Jesus. So how blessed are we that we've actually heard, right? How blessed are we that we've heard the gospel and we hear it every week? We can read about it anytime we want to. And often we take that for granted that God and His sovereignty puts you in a place like Tennessee, Dixon, Tennessee, United States of America, that God has put you in a place. We take for granted that God has put us in a place <clears throat> to hear His good news. Right? We don't have a, many of us I would imagine, don't have a story as dramatic as Paul's, but we've all had a Damascus Road experience where we've encountered Christ for the first time and it changed us. Right? And it set us on a new course. God appointed a time for you to hear the gospel. He called you through His Spirit. He convicted you of your sin and you responded or you wouldn't be saved. Right? Somebody shared the gospel with you. His Spirit convicted you of sin and you repented. If those steps are not in that order, you are not saved. That grace is unmerited. We don't, we don't deserve that kind of affection. Paul didn't deserve that. We don't deserve it, but God granted it to him. You see, God had a purpose for Paul. There, he was plan A. Paul was plan A in order to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. God had no plan B. God didn't need a plan B. Paul was plan A. He was only the, that was the only plan. Paul was the man. Had always been the man. Paul didn't turn to any... And I love how Paul makes clear. I didn't turn... He didn't turn... He, makes, I didn't, he said, I, don't even, I didn't even talk to another apostle for three years. For three years, Paul didn't even talk to another apostle. Right? He just went and started preaching what Christ had told him. And God saved Paul for the purpose of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. That's how Paul views his calling. He, he didn't need to have the gospel confirmed by Peter or John or Andrew or any of the other apostles. Why? Well, because Christ had confirmed it for him. Right? Jesus himself 
revealed it to him. God prepared Paul for ministry. For three years, it says Paul went to Arabia. Um, he, didn't go to the, he didn't go to seminary. I've been to seminary. I know how tough that can be. Paul didn't go to seminary. Paul had already been to seminary. He already knew the Old Testament pretty well. So Paul didn't go to seminary, right? Of, of the apostles, he didn't go to a seminary in Jerusalem, at least at first. But he went to the seminary of Christ. He learned the gospel from the gospel in the flesh, Jesus himself. I'm convinced, I don't, it, it, may not, it may or may not be what Paul's alluding to here, but I think it's interesting. Paul says for three years he went to Arabia, and I'm convinced he was preaching and sharing the gospel the whole time. But I'm convinced he continued to encounter Christ and learn from the Lord during those moments. Um, and so Paul's story is quite, is quite something. Um, and then if you look, um, point number three on your paper, Paul, it says that Paul... Uh, he preached the gospel, uh, and the gospel that we are to proclaim is the one by the apostles. It's the only gospel. So Paul, in verses 18 through 20, um, Paul had no contact with the apostles again for three years. For three years after his conversion, most scholars believed that he continued to share and continue to preach as the gospel was revealed to him. After three years, Paul does indeed go to Jerusalem, um, but he doesn't visit the church. It's interesting. Paul makes clear, I did not go to the church in Judea. He goes, I went and saw a few people. M the main ones he mentions is Peter. And he spent some time with um, the half-brother of Jesus, James, who is the author of the, the letter of James that we have in our New Testament. right? But he didn't go to the church. <clears throat> Meeting with Peter um, would have confirmed the message that Paul was preaching, though it didn't need confirmed. But I, what I think, Paul was doing when he met with Peter is he was actually, if I was Peter, I probably would have been a little skeptical, to be honest with you, of Paul. Um, based on Paul's reputation, I think Paul probably met with Peter just to say, I'm the real deal. Here's what I've been sharing. Here's what I've been preaching. And Peter's like, all right, he's in. Um, so he used to not be, now this guy's in. And I imagine that, that Peter's job would have been to con convince the church in Jerusalem, Paul's legit, guys. He's not coming after us anymore. Um, other people may be coming after us, but Paul's not coming after us anymore. And so he met with Peter, uh, met with James, and uh, confirmed the gospel message with them. Um, and it's not stated, but part of the reason Paul waited so long to return to Jerusalem, I believe, was because of his safety. Um, I can't imagine being in his position, leaving Jerusalem with the task of eliminating the church and then becoming a part of the church on the way, and how mad the other Pharisees were probably at him. Uh, not only did Paul become a part of the church, but he's the reason that it just exploded all over the rest of the world. And so I imagine they were pretty fed up with Paul. Um, and so part of the reason I believe he didn't go return to Jerusalem for a long time was because of his own safety. Um, they were, he, was a, he knew that they would kill him or arrest him, which they do eventually do. But Paul waited. Um, but while he waited, he preached, he shared. Um, and this is... this. This is a good word for us. You know, we, we go through seasons of waiting too, not knowing what to do or what the future holds. But Paul waited. He did what he knew he needed to do, which was proclaim the gospel everywhere he went. Share the gospel. Um, Paul had obviously, in Galatia here, been accused of being a liar. So the final statement in verse 20 may seem shocking to us. And now, in what I'm writing to you, I assure you for God. So he's promising that he's not lying. Um, Paul wants the Galatians to understand how fervently he clings to the testimony of the truth of the gospel. His message hasn't changed. 
at all. Not one iota since he's left Galatia. He didn't send these people to another gospel. Paul even says, even if I come to you and tell you something different than what I proclaimed to begin with, then I'm to be accursed. Right? So his testimony has not changed. Um, he is, uh, he is, the calling of God is on Paul um, to be a witness. And Paul is willing to stand before God himself with this affirmation. Again, just pr- trying to prove to the people at Galatia that he is legit and he means what um, The final point found in verses 21 through 24 is that the true gospel glorifies God, not man. Which is the problem with the message that the Galatians are hearing from these preachers, right? Because this is putting um, the burden back. Yes, follow Jesus, but you've also got to do these other things. Um, So after meeting with Peter and James, Paul settled into his ministry in Syria, um, where he was actually from, which was Tarsus. And it said God used Paul to spark revival among the Syrians. Paul's going to minister for almost 15 years before going back to Jerusalem. He would go on his first of his three missionary journeys from there. Um, God would use him to start a lot of churches throughout Greece, Asia Minor, which is the area of Turkey today. Um, the only thing in church, churches knew, this is the only thing that they knew and that he affirms. Um, he says I, in verse 22, I was still to the churches in Judea. He had not seen them. They had not seen him. But he knew what they were hearing. Paul, who once persecuted is now preaching the faith. Paul, who once persecuted us, is now preaching the faith. That's all they knew in, in Jerusalem. And it says here that they praised God because of it. They glorified God because of it. They knew Paul's work to be God's work and Paul's gospel to be God's gospel. And all of this was to prove to the Galatians that the gospel that they're turning towards is indeed the gospel. It's the same gospel. It's the gospel Paul labored for uh, among them, <clears throat> it's the same gospel Paul labored for among them that he his life to proclaim. So the true gospel glorifies God, but it's God-centered. It doesn't matter what man does, but what God has done in Jesus Christ. And so the true transformation, transformation like Paul's, is and the, the same transformation that happens in our life is a result of the true gospel. God gets all the glory for the work of the gospel, not man, not Paul, not me. But God gets all the glory. And so, a few things to remember from this as we're closing out here. A few things to remember that I, I put down for you. Uh, one, the message of Paul is clear, right? He received the gospel from Jesus Christ himself. It should be clear to us, there, there is no other gospel. If we're going to share the gospel with people, we must share the same gospel Paul shared, the same gospel Peter shared. So to stray away from that gospel presented by Paul is to stray away from the true gospel. So not only must we be faithful to share that gospel, but we must be, be on our guard to make sure that when we hear it presented all right, in other ways, that we be able to spot the, the truth from the lie. Right? It never, the true gospel never changes. Anything, and this is something we've got to keep, keep in mind too. Anything that we do to water the gospel down, to obscure it, add to it, it's the souls of people at risk of eternal hell. We have to remain faithful to the gospel and to defend it at all cost. Um, Paul was willing to lay his life down for it. He eventually did lay his life down for it. So the second thing to remember is that the gospel reveals the glory, to Christ, of, the glory of Christ to a lost world. So again, our job is to present Jesus, right? Our, our job is to present Jesus and to allow God to do his work never debate anybody into the kingdom. You'll never shame anybody into the kingdom. 
You'll never emotionally manipulate anybody into a decision. You may get them to say something or to do something, but it, unless the true gospel is presented, unless Christ is presented, Him crucified and resurrected, and people experience true repentance, um, then that's not the calling of God. The calling of God, the, the gospel, always reveals the person of Christ. The third thing, Paul never got over his salvation. This was an important point that I think I, over and over, Paul shares his story, not because he's trying to elevate himself, right, but because God, Paul wants people to know what God did for him. Paul, uh, Paul, never got, Paul never got over being saved. I think some of us, myself included sometimes, have gotten over being saved. And what I mean by that is that, you know, God saved you through hearing of the gospel, right? We're not supposed to boast in anything else but Christ. Um, and we often get over our salvation. We, we look at it as an event that happened in the past, but now we're moving on to greater things. Our salvation is not complete. And the reason we know it's not complete yet is because you and I are still sitting here in the flesh, struggling in this world. Christ has come back and we're not walking around heaven with glorified bodies. That's how we know salvation is not done yet, right? There's more to do. God's still at work in our lives. We never got over being saved. We shouldn't get over being saved either. <clears throat> and the fourth thing is that we should live the life God unfolds before you and glorify God through your life. That's what Paul did. Paul, I, I guarantee you, Paul had no idea what would unfold for him. Three missionary journeys, beatings, shipwrecks, prison, who knows how many sicknesses um, that Paul endured. Um, and I asked Paul to sum up his ministry. I don't think he would mention any of that. I think if you ask him to sum up his ministry, what Paul would talk about was the churches he started, the love he has for the people in those churches, the love that he has for his fellow brothers and sisters that were in ministry with him, that he thanked God for quite often by name in his letters. And I think Paul would mention the glory of his Christ. I think those are the things that Paul would talk about if you asked him to sum up his ministry. So God has called us for a purpose, to glorify him and to live the life that he unfolds before us. Um, live and trust him. Again, Paul had no idea what would unfold for him. You and I, no matter what age we are, there's still more to be done, right? God still has things to unfold for your life that you don't know. Ways to share the gospel that you aren't aware of yet. People to minister to that you haven't encountered yet. God's still got a plan for you. If you're on this earth, God's still got a plan. Um, none of us are to coast, right? We're all being used of God to build up his kingdom. And Paul was no different. He went all the way to the end. So proclaim and defend the true gospel. That's the message of Paul today. 731, and we'll wrap it up. Um, thank you all for being here tonight. Pray for Pastor Mike. Continue to hope he gets better. And um, so somebody else doesn't get called up last minute next Wednesday. So hopefully you'll be back in Isaiah with Pastor Mike. So let me pray for you all as you go. Thank you all for being here. Lord, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the power of your gospel demonstrated in the life of Paul and the dramatic way that you saved him, that you changed him, that you redirected his path that he would share with many, many people. We're the product of, of that work today. We, we heard the gospel because he proclaimed it and it continued to spread and continued to spread. And we're, we're grateful that we are in a place today where we've heard the gospel, where we were able to, to respond to the gospel and where your spirit convicted us of our sins and we repented and trusted you. Father, so thank you for opening our, our eyes. Thank you for showing us Jesus, uh, that we might be saved. Help us to never get over our salvation. 
and to proclaim you and to glorify you the rest of our days. We praise you and we thank you in Christ's name. Amen.